Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. As you know, every single episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group and ARIA Benefits. And usually I'll go in and I'll say a little bit more, but I am just too darn excited. I got to get right into this conversation because, oh, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but it's going to be so exciting. So just to set the tone for this podcast, I thought I'd set a little music to it and it should give you a clue about who's returning to the show. Yes, that's right. The Rocky Balboa theme in your head playing right now. We're back at it again. As always, I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host, Al McDonald. Al, are you just as excited about this episode as me? I am. I'm excited because we had such a great time the first time around. So this is even going to get better. And again, I won't spoil the fun, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I feel like yelling, the champ is here (laughs) as we do this introduction. So returning to the podcast today, fresh off his recent win at the Fight 10 Cancer boxing match, the main event, mind you, our good friend, Joshua Siegel. Josh, welcome back to the show. I trained for a three-round fight. We've got round two with us right now, and I'm super fired up and stoked for another great conversation. What a week it's been. <laughs> well, most people will be you know, consuming this via audio, but hopefully when we pull a clip, you're going to have that belt slung over your shoulder because I-, I want everybody to see that. We tuned in for the fight. I was watching it Saturday night. I was so excited. Of course, you're the main event, so I had to wait through quite a few fights, but they were all good. I mean, it was amazing to watch... People who, from my understanding, had no prior training and were stepping up. And I had so much respect for everyone. But of course, I was biased. I really wanted to see two main events, actually. Your wife was the co-main event, which was really cool. And I want to talk to you about that experience. But just overall, coming out of the other end, you and I are chatting before this, and you're saying it was one of the hardest things you've ever done. But how are you feeling now, coming out of it? First and foremost, like... The individuals that were part of this experience, you had a vice principal, a French teacher, a product designer, myself, an HR professional, were not fighters. And for six months, they got us ready for an Olympic style sanctioned amateur fight. And you you asked me how I felt coming out the other end. I honestly feel like a changed human beyond the purpose of the event, the magnitude of the event itself, and the experience being far and away different than what I had expected and predicted. I'm definitely a different human being after going through it. I do want to talk about that, but I also want to recognize something that you did and that Fight to End in Cancer did, because I saw a post on it today. How much money did you end up raising? So myself and my wife, Yulia, just the two of us did about $25,000. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. 
the fight team itself, so the 10 fighters came together for about $100,000. And then over the 10 years of the Fight Tank Cancer being in existence, we're getting pretty damn close to $3 million raised for the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation. That is fantastic. And someone who has gotten to know you over the last little while, I mean, thanks to the podcast, we got an introduction to you. We had our chemistry call. We've had our other podcasts. We've had subsequent conversations. You know, I got to watch you fight. I am really, really proud of you. Thank you, Robin. It takes an army, especially being there night of there's dozens and dozens and dozens of volunteers and professionals stepping up to make this whole experience happen. And they're all doing it for one singular reason. Yeah. Ending cancer in our lifetime. It truly showcases the power of purpose. Well, I think it resonates because anyone sitting around a table, myself included, can talk about how cancer has impacted their life. Of course, with me, who's through my wife. So when you see people stepping up, and I, and I would encourage anyone, if you haven't seen one of these events in the past, this was my first time I ordered the pay-per-view. I think it was like $30, something like this. It was worth every penny. It was so well done. I've never met the people that were doing the commentating and the people in the ring. There was a couple of ladies. There was so much passion there. And, and usually, you know, during the UFC, if there's a commercial or in between fights, I'm not going to watch. I'm going to do something else. But I found myself watching the entire event from start to finish. It was really good. I want to go back to something, you know, you talked about in the beginning and you feel like you changed human. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about that? I wish I could give you more insight and explain it in a better way. I think as we record this podcast, I'm about five days out of the experience. I think I'm still digesting and understanding fully what this experience meant to me, meant to my wife, the fact that we're able to do this together. I feel much more grounded. It's funny, you come out of literally a war and you saw the fight, Robin, you knew it was a battle from bell to bell and we just kept going at it. I feel way less aggressive, way more calm, way more centered. I wish I had the appropriate words to articulate the change. I just know something is different after this experience. So one thing you did say earlier too was it was about a hundred times tougher than you thought it was going to be. Can you explain what you meant by that? And maybe some of the challenges that you did have to overcome to get there? Absolutely, Al. Great question. So the really interesting thing about this experience is all 10 of the white collar professionals who are training towards this event train together. So my wife, my opponent, my wife's opponent, we're all in the same gym. We're all working together. We're side by side. So I never actually had the opportunity to spar or fight with my opponent, but I could watch him. And you gentlemen know my intensity level. I was watching him with intensity, seeing what he had, game planning, thinking about how I would approach the fight based on what I was seeing in the gym. And I honestly felt he had no path to victory, that nothing would stop me from winning. I had visualized the fight a thousand times, a thousand times I had won. And when we stepped in there on May 27th to actually do the fight, within the first 10 seconds, we had our first exchange and he hit me with something that I had not seen him do in training at all. More power, more passion, more energy. And my opponent, Joey Wu, one of the, the nicest human beings you'll ever meet on the face of the planet, he was fighting on behalf of his dad, who passed away from cancer in 2018. And that wasn't just Joey in the ring. He was carrying so much more with him that, honestly, the fight could have gone either way. We were the only split decision of the night. So one judge thought he won. I've rewatched the fight a few times. I'm like, maybe. It was close. 
And I did not expect it to be that close. And then you add the lights, the cameras, the big screen, the magnitude of main eventing this experience with 600 people watching live and thousands watching at home. Clearly, I'm not a professional fighter. I've never done something like that before. You weave all of that together. Like practice is important, but nothing in practice came close to replicating what we did in that ring that night. Well, let's give uh, Joey Wu a big shout out for fighting for his dad. As you were saying that, I found myself getting emotional because, again, we all know somebody who's been affected by that. So the fact that he had a, a very good reason, and that was probably part of what he hit you with, right? Like that passion that he was he was feeling that night. One of my favorite pictures that you posted on social media, on LinkedIn, was with your wife. And you were both there, and you were in the ring, and she was in her gear, and you were in yours. And I wondered to myself, because... Anytime I participated in martial arts, it was by myself. My wife never had an interest or anything like that. What was it like, number one, training with your wife? And then number two, you know, you were the main card. So I assume you were backstage warming up. You couldn't be there for her fight because she was fighting just before you. So what was that whole dynamic like? Because I would imagine there'd be some anxiety for her because she's going into a, let's face it, a boxing match where someone's going to try to punch her. What was that whole experience like? Yeah. So on the first part on the training, I'm so thankful that we got to do this experience together. So 2023 has been an absolute whirlwind. So obviously I've started a new job and now leading people in culture at seven shifts. So that transition in and itself is big enough to put some strain on your life and take up a whole bunch of time. Layer on top, the amount of training that you need to get ready for an actual sanctioned fight. She would have felt like a widow if we weren't doing this together. So the fact that all of the time and effort and energy we were spending, we could do it together. It ended up being a bonding experience as opposed to pulling us apart and taking our time away. And just like I can't really explain in words how I feel like I've changed coming out the other end of the fight, I don't think she could have experienced or understood what I was going through in training with the grind and the mental state and the ups and the downs, the highs, the lows unless she was experiencing it. And the fact that we could go through those highs and lows together, when I was low, she could pick me up. When she had a rough day in the gym, I could go take her for ice cream and make her feel better after the fact. We could balance each other out during the training. So during the training, it was fantastic. I would say sitting through a fight night, knowing that your partner, the person you love has to go fight and you can't watch, that was gut-wrenching. So being in the back, trying to stay loose, trying to stay warm, trying to think about what I have to do knowing she's out there getting punched in the face, definitely not an easy experience to go through. And then when her fight ended, I'm getting my final warmups and I don't know what happened. I didn't know if she won, if she lost, if she was hurt. All I knew is I had a job to go do. And right before I walked out, I saw her opponent walk back with her championship belt. So I know it didn't go the way my wife wanted it to go. I guess that's the power of focus. There was nothing I could do about that in that moment. I knew I had to show up for the cause and show up for what I had to do. And you just soldier on. There's not much else to it other than kind of mental fortitude. I'm sure you've told her already, but if this was the moment you were sitting in a podcast, putting it out on a global basis, what would you tell her about how you felt about her stepping up to the plate as it were, to the ring as it were, and doing this for such a great cause? I'm just so unbelievably proud of her. We've talked about this a lot, Robin. I'm a martial artist. I love the martial arts. Similar to you, I have a background in karate. So this wasn't too far out of my comfort zone. For Yulia, she loves yoga and Pilates and Zen and peace. The exact opposite of getting punched in the face. But the cause was so important to her 
that she was willing to push herself so far out of her comfort zone. And I'm just so proud that she did it, stuck with it throughout the entire pandemic. So what was a six month commitment ended up being a three and a half year commitment. And she stuck with it and pushed herself and did everything that she could to represent fighting cancer and support the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation. I've got so much pride. Josh, you said, you know, earlier about you thought you were a changed human and can't even put into words maybe exactly what that means until maybe you've had a little bit more time to reflect on it. But here's a question for you. Do you think that having gone through this experience, what do you think it's going to mean for you going forward? You know, maybe just on a day-to-day basis or how it affects your work or anything like that? Like any thoughts or reflections around that? The parallels between boxing coaching and business coaching, there are hundreds of them. And so I've been thinking about it nonstop through the training. I've been doing some LinkedIn posts and stories as well, kind of sharing my thoughts and the parallels around that. From the experience itself, I would say the most top of mind lesson for me is energy management, where I'm known as a high energy guy, always show up, always high energy. But what that experience taught me was the importance of channeling it. It can't just be frenetic energy. You need to align it with a purpose turn it into a highly focused laser beam and use the energy in that way. And that's how it's optimized. And I'm really trying to think about that as I prioritize my day, focus on the tasks I need to do and think about how I deploy myself and the superpowers that I bring to the workplace. I'm glad you asked that question, Al, because I did want to, obviously, you know me, I could talk about, you know, the fight for the entire podcast, but I did want to tie it back to business and what that meant. So I think that's really important about energy management, because I think that's something that you can bring to your team as well. And speaking of team, I mean, you've had a lot going on in the last little while. Like you've had a recent move over to Seven Shifts, which is a two-time back-to-back number one workplace in Canada, like holy moly. What has that whole process been like? Can you tell us starting fresh and starting scratch and you know a little bit about that journey so far? Well, those awards are well-earned. So this organization, unbelievably special. There's something unique and different about Shifties, just phenomenal human beings care deeply about the business, about the industry we support, which is the restaurant industry, whip smart, and their deep, deep commitment to the value system. So one of the most beautiful things as I onboarded with the organization, I spent the first month and a half meeting with every single senior leader in the org, trying to understand what made this place so special? Why did they choose to stay? What did they love? What were the things that we really deeply needed to protect? And every single leader either called out the entire value system that we have, our Beams values, or they picked one or two values and they would look at me like through the Zoom, through the Google Meet, and be like, Josh, you don't understand. These are so real. They found out I was a boxer and they're like, we will fight to protect these. It is so core to who we are as an organization and what makes this place so special. And now feeling and experiencing it so pervasively throughout the organization, it's such a joy to show up at work every day because you know everyone is aligned, committed, and has the best intentions at heart on what we're delivering. It's been an awesome first three months. And maybe we do round three of this podcast next year after Seven Shifts wins the number one best workplace to work for a third year running. I love it. That's a date for sure. And I think I picked up on something there. Did you use the term shifties? Shifties, yes. So if you work for Seven Shifts, uh-huh. I love the color orange and yeah. you become a shifty. You're a shifty. So, I mean, that right away tells me a little bit about the culture. 
right? You guys are obviously all on board and you've named the culture, so to speak. Absolutely. Great people doing really meaningful work, but we love to smile and have fun and recognize that the work that's done, the metrics that we deliver are done through people. So there's truly a human-centric element to absolutely everything that we do, even this week. So coming out of the fight, obviously, I'm pretty tired. Tuesday, we had a full day of quarterly planning. Wednesday, we had a full day of leadership training and development, so sharpening the axe. But in between that, we found some time Tuesday night, go to the Jays game, get to know each other as humans, connect, bond, build those relationships that are so much harder to build in this decentralized world. So when the opportunities present themselves, we've recognized invest in it, lean into it, create that human connection. You talked about the values and how they're so important. Are there maybe one or two that you can share, especially that you think are maybe the important ones and are a big contributor to the success of the company? So I would say the cop-out is to say they're all important, but in my tour of duty, meeting all of the leaders, there was one that came up over and over again as the most important and that Shifties were most passionate about. And that was the concept of always being radically candid and flexing that muscle and working on that muscle and recognizing that it's not an easy thing to do. And that if you don't practice it, it's the type of muscle that atrophies. And as an organization grows and scales, it becomes harder and harder to do that meaningfully because you don't know each other as well. You haven't built those foundations of trust, which makes candor so much easier, but it just means we need a deeper commitment to constantly building the trust, creating the connection and helping people understand why radical candor is so important. So that would be my number one. Again, they're all big. Another one that I think about a lot is make every experience an 11. So an 11 out of 10, leave people with something to remember. It's those moments that matter. And how do you really make those something spectacular? Both of those resonate really well with me. And, and I'll start with the latter, make everything an 11. We would call that our wow experience. And Debbie, who's been with us for 15 years, I've heard her say it hundreds of times. She says, I don't care if you're a client of three people or you're a client of 800 people. You're going to get the same reception and treatment every single time because I want that person to leave, even if it's an email. Like Deb will always pepper in about, you know, she's the biggest Leaf fan on the planet. <laughs> Poor girl. She'll always say, go Leafs, go at the end. And clients, and I mean, she's always professional, but she always finds a way, whether it's on the phone or email, to pepper in her personality. And that's why everybody that we deal with loves Debbie. The other thing that I really appreciate and I have a recent example of is, is being radically candid. We restructured our company a little while ago. We were always started at three partners. And I think we were hamstringed a little bit because we were equal partners. And when we had great ideas about doing things, no one made that final decision. So we made Al our CEO and we said, hey, listen, for those hard decisions, you're going to have to make them. And we're going to support you because we truly believe as your partners that you're acting in the best interest of the company and doing what's best for everybody. And Al and I recently had the opportunity to go meet one of our podcast guests, which I'm hoping we get to do with you, Josh, in the very near future and sit down, uh, you know, break bread together. But in the car, Al starts off the conversation with, this might be a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation because he wanted to talk to me about something, you know, quite important in the company. And we had that conversation. And I said to Al, once we got through and made some decisions, I said, that wasn't awkward because I do trust you. I know you're acting in the best interest of the business and I want to support you. Like I said, I went as a CEO. I don't want to go you know, behind your back and do things. So although they may seem uncomfortable, I think it's really important because I walked away from that meeting really respecting Al that he wouldn't just say, okay, well, I don't want to talk about it because it might be uncomfortable. 
right? So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's really important for a growth of a company to, to have those candid conversations. But you also have to put in the work so that like Al and I have known each other 18 years. So it's a little bit easier to have that conversation. But with someone newer, like you said, Josh, you've got to put in the work so you do get to know people, right? So you, that you can have those conversations. And helping them understand why it's so important. Like to me, I think a lot about the difference between being nice and being kind. Being nice is, ooh, this is a hard conversation. I don't want to have a hard conversation and ruin Al's day. But that's not kind. The kind thing is to have the conversation that's going to help him grow, give him what he needs, challenge him. And so leaning into kindness over niceness, so important. And one thing you said, Robin, that I love, it's assume positive intent. That the intent is there. We're on the same team. We're driving in the same direction. Don't go and create your own narrative, making this negative in some way. We're having this hard conversation because I care about you and I want us to do what matters. And I'll build on that a little bit too. And, you know, going back to the conversation, you brought this up, Josh, is if I hadn't been able to have that trust, you know, with Robin, again, that would have made that conversation so much more difficult, right? So I think, you know, that's really the thing that has to happen first to be able to lead to those candid conversations. It's foundational for everything. There's really very few things in business or life more important than building that trust. Hey, so maybe, Josh, we can dive into a, a little bit of what you're currently doing. We talked about previously the energy project. Can you talk a little bit about that, about the philosophies and why it's important in terms of driving the performance? It's Tony Schwartz's company out of the U.S., phenomenal thought leaders. The book that I really like from them is called The Way We're Working Isn't Working. And it really looks at the one resource we have that we can deploy in meaningful ways to accomplish huge, huge goals. And it's not time. So as they say with the energy project, there's 24 hours in the day. If there was 25, we would have found it already. So we can't throw time at our problems. People are already working more than enough. We don't want them working more hours. We want them to go have their lives. But the hours that they are giving, how do we optimize the energy within that to make them as most meaningful as possible. It's all science-based. So they've worked with high-performance athletes. They've worked with some world-renowned musicians to take these philosophies. And it's all about the concept of oscillating between high-performance, I need to show up, I need to be present, I need to deliver, and renewal. Something to take a breath, ground you, nourish your body, your mind, your soul, and then get back to performance. Where far too often, we think about this as a marathon. I've got this big target. I'm just going to run after it. And I'm going to keep going until I get to my target. That's not actually the way to optimize performance. And that's not how we should be thinking about business. Because we're always moving towards something. So like, it would never end. We need to think about that oscillation. Everything in life has pulses and rhythm in our bodies, our pulse, our heartbeat, our breath. Performance is the same. If you try to stay in that high performance zone all the time, you will burn out. It's inevitable. Think about the gym. You don't get stronger by lifting weights for 12 hours straight. You do your set, you rest, you breathe, you hydrate, and then you can do it again. And taking those philosophies and thinking about how you tactically embed them in your day, in the rituals of the organization, and how you lead your teams, it's a phenomenal toolkit to build a high-performance culture that is also sustainable. So you're not burning and churning your people. 
It's interesting. And I'm not going to do justice, I'm sure, to how much you've probably studied this and implemented it. But what I thought of when you were talking about that was just a conversation that I had literally yesterday with a new hire that we've just brought on board the last six weeks. I won't say where he came from, but it was from a different organization. And he, he said, I'm kind of taking a little while to adapt to the culture here because what I'm used to is getting a call from my boss or someone on Friday night at six o'clock and them saying, I need you to have this report ready for me by tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. And I kind of looked at him and went, why would anyone do that? Like, that's not our culture, certainly. And I think Robin will tell you, I have no problem when I walk away from my computer at five o'clock on Friday or whatever, the weekend's mine, right? <laughs> I've even told Robin, don't send me emails. <laughs> this is my weekend. So, I mean, I totally buy into that philosophy. I think it's really important and really important for our people. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, and the beautiful thing is it's actually beneficial to everyone involved. So it's better for you. You'll have a better, more fulfilled life but it's actually also better for the organization. Because when you show up Monday, you have now appropriately recharged, you've refreshed yourself, you can show up as the type of leader you wanna show up as, interacting with your people in the right way, thinking with clarity, driving effectively, where if you didn't have that disconnect space and the opportunity for that renewal, you're not able to deliver at your best. So it's actually win-win, we just need the cognitive shift on how to approach these things. So Josh, you're sitting there with the champ. I'll remind people, you know what? I'm going to get you to send me a picture because I want to send this picture out so everybody can see this. You're sitting there as the champ. So I've got two questions for you. Number one, will you ever do this again? Or is there a new challenge kind of in the yonder? And number two, how are you going to take these learnings to seven shifts and apply that to your role in leadership and hopefully, you know, pass some of those things on to people who are coming up in the organization. Will I ever do this again? I would say if the question is, will I do something as primal as step in a ring or step in a cage and fight another human being? I will probably say no. I think I've had that experience. It was on a huge stage. I got the result that I wanted. I don't know if that's something I would put my body and my mind through again. Is there going to be some other big challenge on how I can make an impact on this world and find another great cause to support in a meaningful way? 100%. What that looks like, I think I'll need some time and space and debriefing before I can do that. But stay tuned. There'll be another podcast. We can talk about that one for sure. And to your next question, it's already happening. I think being part of this fight to end cancer experience, the learnings from boxing, I talk to my team about it all the time. I take the philosophies and think about how we weave them into the way we interact with the rest of the organization. It's now fundamentally a part of me. May 27th, the night of the fight is something that will be with me forever. And everything that I do and every interaction I have will be influenced by it in some capacity. I love that answer. And one of the things that I've always believed, and you and I have probably chatted about this offline, I've always felt that facing adversity makes you a better human being. And I remember going into jujitsu and it was a very humbling experience because the first guy I ever, we called it rolling, sparring. First person I ever uh, sparred with, I was a white belt and this fellow was a blue belt. And I had dabbled in martial arts and it was my first time into jujitsu. And I was easily 185 pounds. And at that time of muscle, unlike today, unfortunately, and he was maybe 130 pounds. 
And I thought, oh, what's this guy going to do to me? And he wiped the floor with me. And that's one of the things that I loved about jujitsu is you better check that ego at the door because there was no faking it. And you had to face adversity. And what I always enjoyed about that was no matter what came up in my life, I knew I faced worse than this, right? And I knew I faced these things and I got to train another day. So that's one of the things that I think that you've done for yourself, especially being on the big stage with all the lights and all the pressure. And you know, people like me were watching and there was expectations, right? That's a lot of pressure. But I think, you know, you started out at the top of this episode saying that it made you a better human. And I think that is a big part of it. You face something really big and really scary and it's such a great cause. And again, I'm proud of you for that. But I think facing adversity does make us better humans. Well, resiliency is just another muscle. And if you don't flex it and you don't work it, it doesn't develop. So unless you put yourself in those situations where you have to go through something hard, how do you know what you're capable of? How do you know what you're made of? And it's the old adage, it wouldn't be worth doing if it wasn't difficult, if it wasn't hard. So it's funny, going into the fight, I thought I was going to mop the floor with my opponent. It was going to be an absolute cakewalk. I'm kind of happy that it was a war and it pushed me to the limit and it forced me to leave every ounce of energy I had in that ring. Now I appreciate it so much more and it taught me more about myself. You had to make weight for that fight. There was weigh-ins and I, and I know you were very conscientious about your training and your diet and the whole bit. Was there a cheat meal after you're all said and done? So for those of you that are in Toronto, you'll know about a phenomenal bakery called San Remo. Are either one of you familiar? Yeah, I'm seeing some nods. San Remo bakery. 100%. So their carrot cake is the best carrot cake on the planet. And I love carrot cake, as does my wife. So we had a cake ordered that said Team Siegel. And the next morning after the fight, our first stop to the bakery, pick up the cake, get some coffee. And it was cake, coffee, and <laughs> well-earned. Love it. Love uh-huh. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations once again. Last words, any shout outs that you want to give to anybody before we wrap up? So first and foremost, just always a pleasure and a joy to chat with you too. You too. And I will just say to the audience out there, although my fight to end cancer journey is over, they're going to start looking for an FTEC 2024 team. So if this is a journey you want to go on, I'd love to chat with you about my experience and happy to facilitate some introductions. And even though I won my fight, the fight against cancer is still ongoing. So the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation still needs our support. So if you can help in any capacity... Step up there and do what you can. And Josh, what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they want to get involved in this type of thing? I love LinkedIn. So just find me on LinkedIn, send me a message, and I promise to respond back. Perfect. Well, I think you are the epitome of the title of this series, Success Leaves Clues. You gave us so many clues today. That does it for today's episode. Can you tell Al and I love this conversation? As always, I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. As we've seen today very, very clearly, success leaves clues. See you next time.